Hi, hello. It is Josh Bowe, one of the many editors over at MavsMoneyBall.com, coming to you with another edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Uh, unfortunately, this is a Mavericks loss, a 106-93 to loss to the Indiana Pacers in Indianapolis. Since I am starting the podcast, you can assume that I am without my normal co-host, Kirk Henderson, and you are correct, Kirk. I had a pretty uh, schedule-packed Friday evening, so we're giving him the night off, although I think he was able to catch the second half. So knowing Kirk, despite the fact that we were giving him a night off, he will probably still do a green room because he's the man of the people. Instead, I am joined by staffer Luke Askew. Luke, how's it going? First time we've done a pod together. Oh, it's going well. I, <laughs> You know, I try to be positive. I, I do. I, I try to... I try to be a positive light in the Mavs Moneyball team. And I I honestly think that this might be one of, if not the worst losses of the season. It's hard to argue with you. Uh, the one thing that you could count on with this Mavericks team, despite the fact that they've been so unreliable so far this season, is that they've beaten bad teams, especially when they're fully healthy. I mean, the loss to Memphis was without, you know, Kristaps and Luca. Since Kristaps and Luca have been playing together, you know, over the last two weeks, which hasn't been a lot of games since they've both been out of the lineup, the Mavericks have looked a little bit better. You know, they still all, that was a brutal loss to the Nets, but they, I mean, it was still, the first three quarters wasn't too bad. So you, th- there was something to maybe build on. And you, th- you see these three games on the schedule. You got Luca and KP back. You have Memphis, Indiana, OKC, all back to back. And you think like, okay, these are this is the get right stretch. Go three and zero because the schedule is going to get hellacious to close December. And they they lose by you know they don't just lose they lose by thirteen points. Another double digit loss. I don't have the number in front of me, but Kirk, uh, I need to figure it out. But the Mavericks have trailed by double digits in a ton of games, and it's it's really it's really something. And yeah, Luke, when you. This is a really, really bad loss. The Mavericks were at full strength. Rick Carlisle wasn't coaching because he was out with COVID. Like, I don't know what I don't. I, I'm running like I think I've said this a million times on our podcast already, but I'm, I'm running out of things to say. Where do you want to start off with? Well, I think too. Um, another another factor really in what makes this an even tougher loss is that the Pacers basically just made it known that they're doing the whole fire sale thing yeah, that's right. where i mean this is maybe their second game since that report came out uh it might even be their first only since that report came out but they i mean that should be a game like you said with no carlisle mavs the the win in memphis was gritty it wasn't pretty but it was a decent win and coming into this ahead of the stretch like you said this is a game like this is a game that the Mavs should win by double digits against a bad team that has some strife internally. Mm-hmm. This isn't one that they should lose by double digits, or even like it would be a. This would have been a bad one if it was close, came down to the wire, and the Mavs eked it out. We would have been talking about like that's not a great win. Like that's one that you need to win by more than a couple points, more more than a possession, and instead it went the exact opposite way. And I think I keep I have the shot charts pulled up here one thing that was really obvious to me was luca's first half versus his second half first half he got to the basket and it wasn't just like he was scoring in the paint he actually got to the rim he was attacking the rim 
And I think he was seven for seven in the paint in the first half. Wow. Um, uh, six for six with one just right outside the paint. I'm going to call it seven for seven. Um, and then in the second half, he was like two for six and only two of the looks were at the rim and he made those looks. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, one was just off an offensive rebound and I can't remember how the second one came. I'm blanking right now, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a drive. It wasn't how we see Luca getting to the rim normally. Um, and that's the frustrating. Yeah, that's uh, that kind of tells almost the whole story of the game. And you have to wonder, you know, he was so – it was so much on him in that first half. Uh, I know, you know, talking about Lucas' fitness and his weight and stuff probably has gone a little overboard, o- overboard in the last week or so. So I don't want to necessarily t- do- uh, bog down the podcast talking about Lucas' conditioning level, but I mean – the second half, he was a different player. Uh, obviously, Indiana tightened things up at the rim, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, when you're – I mean, this isn't just a Luka thing. I mean, when you're asking him to do what he did in the first half and have to do it in the second half just to – and, I mean, just to scrape by, right? Like, I mean, it's not like they were – I mean, they trailed at halftime despite what yeah. Luka was doing. So, to ask him to be like, hey, do that again and maybe, you know, the Mavs will win, like, that's – not a good formula. I believe he's still, he's like technically averaging a career high usage rate. It's like by mere percentage points. But again, you know, the coaching staff in the front office talked a lot about making the game easier for him. You know, they said he needs to trust his teammates, uh, you know, all that stuff. And and here we are again, where Luca is just a man on an Island at times. And it, the starting lineup numbers are, are, are unreal. Kristaps um, and Luca looks like they combined for 45 points. If I'm doing my math right, Luca yep. had 27. Kristaps had 22. The rest of the starters combined for six. Those starters went 0 for four in the first half, zero points. And it's not. And I understand that when you have Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jalen Brunson that come off the bench and play starter level minutes, they both hit 30 minutes, and they were both. And double figures that kind of makes that a little different, but Powell played 22 minutes, Bullock played 21, and Finney Smith played 30. Like they still played like starter minutes, they played a good bulk of the game. And you cannot have three guys start the game, play that many minutes, and score a combined like six points. I mean, we've been saying it a thousand times since 2019, even that this team just cannot get anything outside of their two, two main guys. And boy, it was evident. And it was evident watching this Indiana team where it seemed like every single guy that played had a, a contributing play, a winning play, even if they weren't scoring. Uh, Brissett came off the bench and had four rebounds that seemingly uh, like energetic rebounds. He had one offensive rebound. Martin, their one of their backup guards, had two offensive rebounds in 20 minutes. Uh, and you could tell in the second half, like the Pacers were, you know, they're they're not a great perimeter perimeter team you know they're you know miles turner and and sabonis are are kind of the the linchpins of that but even then like you get the athletic difference between the pacers perimeter players and the mavericks was fully evident and and, like they were just getting to balls faster they were they were just jumping higher like i mean you could just tell from an athletic standpoint that they were they were just a step ahead 
And man, I don't know, like Luke, I don't know what to do about like the starters miss, you know, three starters combining for six points. I mean, that's just atrocious. It's just, it's just, there's no way you're going to win basketball games uh, playing a game like that. Yeah. I have, I have a few thoughts branching off of what you said. I mean, first O'Shea Brissett got the confidence from whatever the Mavericks were letting him do to do the fucking, Oh, can I curse on this? I don't know if I can curse. Oh yeah, you can. Don't worry about it. (laughs) <laughs> he he got the mailman dunk in like the second quarter. Like <laughs> I I was beside myself. I didn't he was punking him. He was yeah. I like I do not like it it made me want to have O'Shea Brissett on the Mavs. And I don't know if that's a compliment to O'Shea Brissett or a slight at what the Mavs are doing, like in terms of their energy level and stuff like that. But going back to what you were talking about with the starters. Um, outside of Luca and KP, it's it's tough because when you when you have Luca, you like you do want the ball to be in his hands. He's a heliocentric guy, and that's how the Mavs are going to ultimately be best. But there are two ways of doing that style of offense, in broadly speaking, where the other guys can just stand around and watch him go to work, or they can be back screening and cutting and moving and keeping things flowing. And there is just none of that. Even in the first half, when things looked like they were going better and Luca was getting to the rim, like you talked about, like we don't need to harp on his conditioning any more than it already is, but like, that's probably the difference between the first and the second half. And so in the first half, he had the energy to do it, but there wasn't, there just wasn't movement. There just isn't, like and I, it's bad timing. I wrote a piece yesterday, <laughs> a few days ago, about Reggie Bullock and how great he is moving off the ball, and I stand by it. But right. today was not that day um, for him. He was a little stagnant. I don't know if there was one time in the second quarter where, and the the thing is too. Actually, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. It's not even just standing around when Luca has the ball. It's like that whole mindset shifts to whoever has the ball like dorian will have the ball out on the wing and everyone just stands there watching him and then he oh has to create off the dribble god and those possessions in the fourth quarter where dorian was dribbling were so painful it it almost it like it almost hurt less because i knew it was going to end in a turnover before <laughs> it started so i was just like there already um but it it's weird and i don't know if it's I like I don't know if it's kid, if it's just the lineup, like there, but there just needs to be more movement. They need to find a way to get others engaged that don't have the ball. And in the second quarter, Bullock made probably the nicest off ball play any Mav made tonight. Um KP had the ball on it was like a high post up right around the elbow area, and everyone was just standing around. And Bullock did a baseline back cut. His guy was sleeping because everyone was just watching KP, which is normally a safe thing to do with this Mavs team. Defenses can just stand there and watch them. But (laughs) Bullock got open. He was at the rim waving his hands, and KP just missed him. And it was on his side where he was posting up, and he he just missed him. And that's a chance where sometimes I feel like off-ball stuff is a little momentous in terms of 
one nice off ball play can lead to another. And then it encourages more people to be moving off the ball and screening and cutting and doing all this stuff. And it was almost like when he missed, when he missed Bullock at the rim, I was like, Oh, I don't know if the off ball stuff is going to happen at all today. And it didn't. Yeah. That was a really, really bad miss. Uh, And I think, what goes into it though is you know we talk about the Mavericks being outside of Luca and outside of KP you know being a one di- you know just being so one dimensional and standstill spot up guys it doesn't just go to like scoring off the dribble or being able to drive like it's passing too like these guys, yeah these guys aren't good you know these guys they're not like bad passers in the sense that like they'll 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 hog the ball or or they'll turn it over but they're not like intuitive passers the Mavericks had 18 assists you know nine of them were Luca you look at the Pacers they start uh Durante Levert Sabonis Brogdon that's four guys like and Durante isn't even that you know I don't even know if I'm saying pronouncing your last name right he's not a great passer but you know if he's your worst passer in, in a starting lineup that's okay you know he's, he's he's definitely looking to shoot more but like Levert had five assists Brogdon had eight Sabonis had seven like you could just tell, like the Pacers had a bunch of guys that could find the open man and hit those, you know, the off-ball movement, which you know they have a lot of, and especially with Sabonis, you know, at the high post, and mm-hmm. you got backdoor cuts and things like that. Uh, and then you know you have the Mavericks, and it's basically Brunson and it's and it's Luca, and if and if if it's not them, whoever has the ball is probably just passing it back out to top up the top of the key for a reset. Uh, I mean, hell, I think you can make the case. Kristaps Przingis has been the third best passer on the team this year, uh, and you know, good for KP. He's having a career year passing. Yeah, like, jeez, like, geez, like <laughs> you need you need you need some of your guards and your perimeter players to just be a little bit better. You know, I'm not asking for these guys to be, you know, throwing behind the back lobs to the rim. It's just you know finding if Jason Kidd is going to emphasize this more movement. Not everyone stands still and watch, which you know. They did that tonight, but if there's going to be more movement, these guys got to, they need better passers and more intuitive offensive players. And, and man, they don't have that right now. No, it, it does. Like, like you said about just needing more intuitive players. It feels like there's a real like stunning lack of basketball IQ on the floor almost at all times outside of Luca Jalen. And I'm going to say Reggie, because I'm still just biased towards him, but <laughs> it, it feels like just like the basketball IQ just isn't there and the ingenuity and the creativity. And part of that is on asking guys to outperform really what their ceiling is as an individual player. Anyways, like Dorian isn't a 30 plus minutes per game guy in the NBA. I don't think I like, I, and maybe maybe I'm sliding him too much now, but I I just think he's best served as a bench guy on a good team. Mm-hmm. And I, go ahead, and I, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you're good. And I just I I think and like same with Dwight Powell's not a starting center in the league, and that so I don't know how upset to get with Dorian when he's not making plays and Dwight when he's doing whatever weird stuff Dwight's doing because that is on the front office for not bringing. I mean, like if I was starting at center for the Mavs right now, they'd be doing a hell of a lot worse. And I would hope <laughs> people wouldn't get mad at me because it wouldn't be my fault. Right. It'd be the office's fault for bringing me in. So like, I don't know, but. 
<laughs> yeah, you're. I mean, Dorian. It's it's amazing how many minutes he plays and how little points he scores. And again, that's not what he's asked to do. But when you've got a guy that's on the floor as much as he is, and he's just such a non-factor on the offensive end. I mean, to the point where, like, you know, defenses are totally fine with letting him shoot. You know, the thing that really worried me this week was usually when Dorian scores double figures, the Mavericks win. And you can even look at it this season. Toronto, he had 11 points and a win. You know, I'm just looking at his double-digit games. Mm -hmm. 14 points against San Antonio, that's a win. 13 points against Sacramento, that's a win. Next time he scored double figures, 15 points again against San Antonio, that's a win uh 17 points against the clippers another win uh but you know the last two games he scored in double figures he had 15 against the nets and 14 against the grizzlies that first grizzlies game and they both lost and it's like man if you're not winning the games that dorian is actually giving you double figures like you're you are super behind the eight ball uh because he's gonna have games like tonight where he plays 38 minutes and he scores four points like that's that's kind of what he does and I think that goes even to show just like how badly they need a stretch four or a three or whatever you want to call him who can just even be like competent on the offensive end. Like if Rudy Gay was playing Dorian's minutes, that feels crazy, but like the scoring would be there at least. And I, I don't know. I think I, I think there's a misconception with Dorian where people see when they're just kind of casually watching the game like, Oh, Dorian's always open in the corner. He's spacing the floor, that sort of thing. He's really not spacing the floor. He's always open in the corners because teams just don't care to guard him. They want him to shoot that. It almost feels like the paint is more collapsed when Dorian's out on the court. And like, I I don't know. He's not, whatever his three-point percentages say, even in years he's shooting it well, they're not tough threes. He's getting the wide open ones in the corners. And I don't know, like, and I feel I don't want to harp on Dorian too much because I don't, it's not his fault that the Mavs are 12 and 13 now. It's just, it's, it's a more of an indictment on the front office for having that be the piece that's there next to Luca four years later. Yeah. It's just emblematic of, of the, the larger issues, which is again, the roster just isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're not seeing, you know, I know people don't want to blame Jason Kidd because it's like Jason Kidd isn't taking the shots, but. He was the biggest thing to change, and the team's playing worse than they played the last two years. So, obviously, the roster is the biggest deal, but the biggest offseason move they made was a new coaching staff, and they were hoping that this would perhaps invigorate some of the players on the roster. And so far, it's you know it's just not working. And maybe it's not Jason Kidd's fault that the team is twelve and thirteen right now, but I don't I don't see where he's helping you know <laughs> like right, you know I don't, right. I don't see the, the the positive gains because even defensively they're about right where they're at the last two years in terms of league rank now you know defense has been better this year compared to the last couple of years so they're actually a better defensive team by points per 100 possessions but because everyone else is better because offense is down a little bit they're still you know a little bit below average defensive team but that's still you know that's just relative to the league they're just still the same slightly below average defensive team and we saw it you know a little bit tonight you know in the second half uh you know and in the second quarter the Pacers scored 34 points and it just it's tough and man like Christos Przingis had 22 points in 31 minutes and I thought I think he was scoring decently inside the three-point yeah. line but 
again, another bad shooting night from three. Uh, he is not, he's, you know, we've been talking about Dorian and Bullock and Tim about, you know, the Mavericks bad shooting from three and even Luca a little mm-hmm. bit. And almost quietly, Kristaps is shooting what, like 30% uh, from three this year. He's actually below 30% now. He's at 29.8, just right mm-hmm. below it. Like, can't have that. That's a career low for him by far. Um, and also, you know, Sabonis and Turner absolutely ate the Mavericks up this game. Turner had 17 points on 11 shots. Sabonis had 24 points on 13 shots. Kristaps had two rebounds in in 31 minutes. Like, uh, I appreciate, you know, the scoring out of the post and some of the mid-range stuff he did that that helped, especially at the beginning of the game, you know, that got the Mavericks a lead in the first quarter. But, man, he... He has to be a factor on the defensive end. He has to be a factor on the boards, and he was not in both of those areas. Uh, so yep. not a great, great game there. And especially, like, with Indiana, like, they're so top-heavy with their front line. Like, Sabonis and Turner are the team, and it's just like, man, if you can just – you can neutralize one of them, uh, you know, that goes a long way. And both of them had double-doubles, um, and, you know, they really impacted the game, I thought. Yeah. Uh, and I just – you know, I just – I know a lot of people – I don't want to bag on KP too hard because he obviously gets bagged on enough, especially with Kirk. Uh, <laughs> but I just, I, that just stood out to me in the fourth quarter. Like they were just not getting the stops they needed when Kristaps was on the floor. Uh, and those two bigs for Indiana, they do this to a lot of teams to be fair, but still, you know, they were just kind of doing whatever they wanted for the most part. They were. And I mean, it was a, it was a bad Brogdon game too. It and, was. I mean, if you laid out all the scenarios and then, of like everything we mentioned right at the top of the pod with with the fire sale rumors with the Pacers and Carlisle being out with COVID and the Mavs coming off a competent win in Memphis and then told me ahead of time that Brogdon was also going to have like one of his worst games. I I would have bet even more than I did on the Mavs. But it's I want I want to talk about Turner a little bit but really quick Luca so in the first quarter he got to the free throw line four times and made all four of them tonight didn't get to the free throw line at all in the second third and fourth quarters um yeah not not one free throw attempt kind of like I don't want to say gimmicky or like lucky because he puts himself in those situations but like one was off a kind of a wonky offensive rebound and stuff like that. He wasn't like getting downhill and getting to the basket. And it, it probably is a lot, has a lot to do with his conditioning, but I even just like pulling up his basketball reference here, he's by far at a career low with free throw attempts per game. And well, and you I check his rim rate too. I'm pretty sure his rim rate is, is career low also. It Those is. Yep. Probably correlate. Yep. And so like, his so rookie year 6.7 free throw attempts per game jumped up that second year with the big leap to 9.2 free throw attempts per game and that's also we shot a career high 76% from the line that year so that's and that's i mean that was probably luka's best season at least numbers wise um and and then it went down to 7.1 last year now we're only at 5.6 and it's going to go down again after tonight I the first quarter I was I was just so happy because even though the Mavs didn't look that great as a team, he had like 10 3 and 3, 
He got to the line four times. He was getting downhill. It was like a classic Luka game that we'd see in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. I feel like people are going to see the – I think he was one for eight from three tonight. And I feel like people are going to box score check and see that and just be like, ah, tough shooting night. Like, can't win when you have tough shooting nights. But it really – like, the one for eight from three doesn't even bother me anymore at this point. I just want to see <laughs> Luka getting back to the rim. Yeah, I think uh, a, a moment that stood out to me, and it's funny because it happened on his one three-point make of the night. Uh, it happened against Miles Turner, who switched out onto Luca, you know, mm-hmm. at the three-point line, and Turner wasn't like giving him space. He was playing him pretty straight up, like he wasn't like daring him to shoot. He was kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say he was all over him, but you know, he was definitely mm-hmm. playing, you know, fairly straight up. And Luca couldn't get by him, and he tried like two or three dribble moves, and he couldn't get by him, and he had to settle for. A contested step back and he made it but i saw that and i was like man just nothing easy comes for this mavericks team on, on, on the offensive end like everything even when they're successful feels like a struggle uh mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like there's anything consistent you can rely on uh to get you easy looks and easy baskets and that's where i think i miss you know obviously i think rick carlisle had if the roster was over Rick Carlisle and and if the reports were as accurate as they as they came out about how much the roster was starting to tune him out how much Luke was starting to tune him out and how much the team just was not appreciating his style of coaching and and his you know his you know crankiness and and disposition towards you know people in the organization and things like that if it was just if if the team was over him you know they had to they had to move on but the one thing that I really miss from a Carlisle coach team was how good he was at seemingly getting like the non-star guys, like easy, easy looks through mm-hmm. through sets. Now the Mavericks have still been pretty good at out of timeouts and, and sideline plays, but like when, like I missed the, the Dorian back screen alley oop, you know, yeah. I miss I missed the TJ curling off a, curling off a screen. And instead of popping a three point line, kind of curling all the way to the rim and getting a layup, he did that. Yep. Uh, against Memphis, I think, or Brooklyn, one of those games. But like, and then that was it. And I missed, like, I missed those little set plays where you know, if things were bogged down and, and the Mavericks needed a spark, they seemingly were able to generate like a really good look for a role player or something, and 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 it would work out. So like, that's what I missed the most. But it they uh, they, yeah. they do need they need to get back to somehow finding ways to get just easier looks. Like like you said, every. Even when they're scoring, every basket just feels like a slog. Like it feels like it feels like when you're playing like intramural or like YMCA noon ball where there is no flow at all. It's just pass and see if you can beat your guy. And that's it, that's what it feels like. It, it's gross to watch. And this is a team that had historically best offense of all time. <laughs> and wasn't that long ago it wasn't that long ago and the roster looks the exact same and it's just not there anymore and it's really frustrating and watching you know playing the pacers at the time of like the fire sale rumors was yeah. was kind of it was interesting because i definitely was watching miles turner with a different <laughs> I tonight he said i think that's i don't know if it came out yesterday or the day before but like he literally just had a story and it wasn't just like anonymous sources he went on the record basically saying like i don't like how i'm i'm being used on this team 
and yeah. they come out and they beat the Mavericks by 13 after that story comes out. That's yeah. Jeez. And I I I every time Miles Turner did something or even just where he was located on the court, I was like, man, the, the Mavs could use him. Like I, I don't I, I'm not good at coming up with with trades and knowing how the how the contracts are gonna stack up and which picks we can and can't trade and stuff like that. But I do know that Miles Turner would be a perfect fit with oh what he would uh, the ability to go big with him and KP while still stretching the floor with both of them, the added rim protection, the ability to just keep him or KP on the floor at all times. So you don't have to go to a Willie Cauley sign. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it even just his backline rim protection. He has a, a like pretty good basketball IQ. He makes a lot of nice plays. Um, I know he's had some ups and downs in his career and some people are bigger on the miles Turner bandwagon than others, but he would help this team out offensively and defensively. And it was hard. It was hard to watch the game and not have that in the back of my mind constantly as those rumors just came out. And I think someone dug up a tweet. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was from like, Oh, I might be butchering this. I think it was like 2014, maybe, and it was yeah. from Miles Turner, and it just like said Mavericks or something <laughs> like that. And and so, I mean, the rumors are going to be flying now. The closer we get to December 15th, where like things can actually be traded and assets can be moved. Yeah, I mean, I he doubt, wasn't even in the league when he when he made right, that tweet. Right, right. Yeah. And I doubt I doubt anything happens, but it's right. fun to be optimistic about it, and it's it's fun. It is fun to think of like to see a guy because it's easy. It's easy to look at the best players in the league and look at like so-called super teams and be like, man, Luca needs a guy like, like if Luca had Kevin Durant next to him, like James Harden does, or if Luca had Anthony Davis or something, it's easy to look at those things, but, and to those guys and be like, that is what would help elevate this team. But it's fun when you see a guy like miles Turner, who's not going to be an all-star, He's just kind of a he's a starter. He's just a good player, but that could really actually elevate the ceiling of the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. And it was tough to watch him just destroy. Yeah. And, and and a hometown, he's a hometown kid. He went yep. to he born in the same city I was born in, went to my same high school, uh, which is which would be really, really cool for me. Uh, yeah. if you ever go on the team. Pretty sure, and unlike a lot of uh, Dallas area, you know, NBA players and, and stars actually grew up a Mavs fan. A lot of, you know, I don't know. Right. Low key, a, a lot of the guys in the league that have come from the Dallas area didn't actually grow up a, as Mavs fans. And I know some of that was because, like, Chris Bosh and LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, they were they were kids, like, when the team was trash in the, in, in the 90s. So, like, it was yeah, not cool. Yeah. It was not cool to be a Mavs fan back then. Mm-hmm. But, like, mm-hmm. Turner... Turner grew up like as a teen watching Dirk win a title and like, like, so that would be, that would be really cool. He seems like one of the, one of the, one of the good players that actually wants to be here. Yeah. Uh, But you know, that's kind of out of their hands. And like you said, the Mavericks trade assets are insanely weak. You know, if I think I saw a lot of NBA, you know, smart NBA people that were like, if Turner gets to Dallas, then a whole bunch of teams in the league, you know, messed up. Right. Uh, Yep. So we'll see. Um, I think yeah. too, 
it's it's hard to sorry to interrupt it's hard to it's hard to imagine rick signing off on a trade that i mean like you said like the mavericks don't have enough to offer compared to what other teams have to offer and so it's hard to imagine rick signing off on a trade and being like yeah let's let's give one of let's let's help out the mavs right now (laughs) yeah the only hope is you know maybe he, he wants some of his guys back who knows yeah, that's true. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe he wants some of his guys. Yeah, no, that's true. I know. Who knows? But uh, man, I don't. I don't know what else to say. So we should probably get out of here. And we got about nine uh, under nine minutes before our our program kicks us out because we run a really uh, tight operation here at Maz Moneyball. <laughs> uh, we use the the best money can buy, uh, aka free. So, uh, Luke, I think that's it. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say. Bad loss Friday night. Let's go enjoy the rest of our Friday nights while we still can. What do you think? Uh, yeah. Only remaining thought is to never forget that O'Shea Brissett mailman dunked on us. Dude, the more I think about it, the more you're like, God, that that is embarrassing. Oh, yeah, he punked man. us. He punked <laughs> us. And I will never. It was a. It was the second quarter, I think, on a Friday night in early December, and I'll somehow never forget it. So. <laughs> good vibes vibes are good right now um, yeah immaculate yes um luke thanks for joining me this was fun i appreciate you filling in for kirk like i said kirk is actually doing a green room like right now i knew he would uh he like i said he's the voice of the voiceless the man of the people so if you're listening to this you'll probably see a green room pop up in your feed uh sometime saturday afternoon Otherwise, that's it. For Luke Askew, it's Josh Bowe. Mavs Moneyball after dark. Mavericks lose 106-93 to the Indiana Pacers. We will talk to you guys after the Oklahoma City game on Sunday. Peace.